Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. Amen. Matthew chapter 14, verse 13. Let's start with verse 13. You excited to hear the word of God today? Amen, amen, amen. Verse 13 says, when Jesus heard it, he departed from there by boat. Let me just give you some context. What he heard was not very good news. What he just heard was that his cousin, his friend in ministry, John the Baptist, just lost his head uh, due to the fact that he stood up against the King Herod and um, called out a sin, called out a, an adultery that was taking place and uh, because of that, he was placed into prison, and uh, John the Baptist ended up losing his head to King Herod. And we have that account just previous there in the, in the verses 10, 11, and 12. And now in verse 13, when Jesus heard it, it says that he departed from there by boat to a deserted place. Everyone say a deserted place. By himself. By him. Self, by himself. Sometimes you got to get alone. Jesus was really good at getting alone. For someone that had so many people following him at times, and for someone that was, uh, 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 you know, had multitudes of people around him, and we see the power of his ministry, we also see the power of his ability to get away and to uh, uh, get to a place. This calls it a deserted place. Um, that's where we would get the word desert, not dessert. Not talking about dessert. We're talking about desert, the deserted places in our lives. And he was able to get away. But when the multitudes heard it, they followed him on foot from the cities. So when they found out that Jesus was by himself, we're saying, we're going to Jesus you know, when you've got something to give away, people are attracted to that. Uh, you know, if you ever wonder why people don't follow you or people, uh, you know, maybe don't uh, pay attention to you or stick around you, maybe the question ought to be, do I have something to give away? Do I have something that they want? Do I have something that they need? Do I have something that they're attracted to? Amen. There was something about Jesus that the multitudes were attracted to. And so even though he's working on trying to get away, and look, he just lost a family member. He's not necessarily in a position where he's thinking about ministering to people. Uh, possibly he's wanting to be ministered to himself. Yeah, Jesus needed to be ministered to. I can think of another time Jesus was in a deserted place in Luke chapter 4, Matthew chapter 4, when he ended up in the desert, led there by the Holy Spirit. Sometimes the Holy Spirit will lead you to a deserted place. Sometimes the Holy Spirit will lead you to disconnect. Amen? Sometimes the Holy Spirit will lead you into a place uh, uh, and, and, and come to find out that was a place where he was tested of the devil. And he was tried of the devil, tempted for 40 days and 40 nights. Many times we're asking the Holy Spirit to lead us out of that stuff. But in that case, the Holy Spirit led him right into it. But then at the end of that, after the 40 days and 40 nights and the three temptations that we have recorded, and Jesus responds with the word of God each time, what does it say? It says that angels came and what? Ministered to 
Jesus. So in this instance, he's not necessarily looking for ministry. He's not saying, hey, everybody, come out here with me. He's trying to break away. He just received some horrible news that had to do with his family and had to do with himself. And uh, he's trying to disconnect a little bit. But in verse, uh, uh, at the end of verse 13, it says the multitudes heard it. They followed him. Verse 14, and when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude. And he was moved with compassion for them and healed their sick. I find it interesting that he was moved with compassion for the people around him, even though he was hurting within. Even though he's got an internal struggle, even though he's in a position again where, you know, uh, 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 he has just gone through something traumatic for himself. I know Jesus is the son of God and I know he's 100% God, but you know what else? He's 100% man. The Bible tells us that Jesus hasn't endured, or that we haven't endured anything that Jesus hasn't been tempted with or had to endure in his life. And so that's a traumatic thing. That's a traumatic thing. Even though he knows he's gonna see John the Baptist again, this is a family member. This is someone he grew up with. This is someone he's close with. And uh, uh, the way that he was murdered, the way that he was taken out. But in this instance, he is drawing on something within, even though he's got a struggle going on on the outside. In verse 15, when it was evening, his disciples came to him saying, this is a deserted place. And the hour is already late. Send the multitudes away that they may go into the villages and buy themselves food. But Jesus said to them, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. That's Jesus's response. Basically, he's saying, I just took care of their spiritual needs. You telling me you can't take care of some burgers and fries? I mean, I just healed all these sick and you can't. Get them just some natural sustenance, some natural food, which tells me this, even after receiving a spiritual miracle or a spiritual healing, I still have natural needs that need to be met. Uh, Jesus, thank you for healing me, but uh, you got any grub over there? I'm, I'm pretty hungry. No, even, see, see. sometimes we, we have this idea that if we could just have this great miraculous thing from God, well, he's capable of doing that. But there are still some, some natural things that, you know, that's why we can't just simply say, okay, brother, I'm praying for you. And even Jesus said, if you see a, a, a brother that's, you know, unclothed, clothe him. Homeless, give him a roof. It, you know, they're hungry, give them something to eat. How many times do we, do we forsake the natural needs of our brothers and sisters with uh, 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 the Christian write-off, I'm praying for you, and I'm not denouncing or dismissing prayer by any means. Absolutely not. But while you're praying, run through a drive through real quick. While you're praying, slip them a 20. Get some gas in their car. Come on now. 
We, we, have, we have forsaken the natural needs of our brothers and sisters for, for the, the, the spiritual means. And, and Jesus is saying, we can do both. I haven't forsaken their natural need. You give them something to eat. You feed them. You can do that. And they said to him, we have here only five loaves and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. And then he commanded the multitude to sit down on the grass. And he took the five loaves and the two fish. And looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke and gave the loaves to the disciples. And the disciples gave to the multitudes. And so they all ate and were filled. And they took up 12 baskets full of the fragments that remained Now, those who had eaten were about 5,000 men besides women and children. Upwards of 20,000 people were fed that day. And on top of that, received a miracle. They received healing. They were ministered to spiritually and naturally. It's an interesting thing, this value that we have for being prepared. We all have a value for being prepared. We all have a value for preparation. Uh, Even if it's just the base value of feeling prepared. You know, preparation takes work. Amen. Preparation preparation is an investment. And um, I've heard people with with different statements like this. uh, Preparation reveals your expectation. Amen. Preparation reveals... Your expectation. Preparation reveals uh, what you're expecting to get out of it. Uh, baseball season has just started. Uh, and, uh, you know, although my son is in a cast, uh, I've already signed up to coach. And I couldn't back out of that just because he can't play. So I'm coaching. And so we're practicing and we're preparing. And, uh, you know, that first practice is just kind of my little barometer, my little test, so to speak, kind of see where everybody's at, uh, what playing field we're on, and, uh, you know, kind of balance everybody out. What do we got to work on? What, where do I need to prepare? Uh, yesterday morning, we took a few uh, kids out and um, t- spent a couple hours preparing, practicing. Why? Because when we get to the big game, we want to be what? Ready. Readiness. We want to be ready. We want to be prepared. There's no worse feeling than going into something unprepared. There's no worse feeling than that. There's no worse feeling than showing up with, with, with the, the, the weight, the responsibility, the spotlight, the pressure, the moment, the opportunity. And in the moment, I'm not ready for this. That's, that's, that's like the worst, you know, for me, type A person, that doesn't work. I am a ready person. I mean, my wife uh, just did an absolutely outstanding job uh, uh, Friday night, my gosh. I was just sitting back there like, who is that on the stage right now? It, I was just blown away as I know the rest of you were and just so anointed, so powerful. And she made a little joke at the beginning, uh, you know, that I offered some help. And uh, just so you know, it was not unsolicited. She brought me into the conversation. I wasn't going to say a word. I wasn't going to look at notes. I wasn't going to do nothing. But she, uh, I walk in the bedroom and I see her there with the computer and I'm like, oh, ah, 
And then she said, hey. I'm like, yep. Because I didn't want to put this whole, it's not me. You're not getting me up here. That's Pastor Ashley. She's got an anointing. She's got a gift. And, and it was just awesome to see her step into that. I didn't want me coming out. But, you know, she asked and, and, and you know, I just asked some questions. That's how, you know, she mentioned it. I'm a teacher. That's what I do. I, 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 can, I can get from point A to point B. Teaching for me is like giving directions to somebody. Here's how you get from here to New York City. And this, you're going to take a turn here, and you're going to get on this over here, and then this is going to take you over here. And that, that's what I do. It's a roadmap for me. And so that just comes easy. That's just a, 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 a thing for me. And so, you know, I'm just asking some questions you know, what do you, what do you want them to walk away with? What's your takeaway? What do you want them to feel? What do you want them to think? What do you want them to do? And, and, and all these things. And she's communicating some things to me and I'm saying, okay. And, and, and the biggest thing with teaching, the biggest thing with any of this is connections. If I gave you three random points that were not connected to each other, you'd be like, huh? It's all in the ability to connect it all. And so I, I just said, well, you know, if you get three points, three main things you want to communicate and connect those, you, you, they're going to walk away and they're going to be empowered. It's anointed. It's powerful. But, but this is just a little something you can do. And man, she took it. She ran with it. She, she just did an incredible job. But there's nothing worse than getting in a position like that and feeling unprepared, feeling like, uh, uh, you know, you, you have no clue what you're doing. Uh, anybody ever traveled? And uh, one of the first questions that comes into your mind, I know it's just about every time, thank God for weather apps, I can get the environment of what I'm going into so I can what? Prepare. So I can prepare. Nobody wants to get to the other side and you don't have something you need or the environment was different than what you're expecting. Look, uh, we traveled to Tulsa, Oklahoma just a couple months ago or last month in February, and we left here, Jacksonville Airport. It was 80 degrees. We landed there. It was 28 degrees. Literally went from 82 to 28. We just swapped the numbers. That's literally what happened. We got off the plane. Well, thank goodness I wasn't preparing for where I'm at today, but I was preparing for where I'm going. Amen. Thank goodness God prepares us not for where we're at today, but for where we're headed. So if he tells you to put the jacket in the suitcase, you better put the jacket in the suitcase. If he tells you to pack the long johns, the warm socks, the extra layers, oh God, I'm, look, I don't need all that. No, he's trying to get you somewhere and he's trying to get the things to you that you need for where you're going, not just for where you're at today. People that are merely prepared for today are unprepared. If you're prepared only for today, you're unprepared. God is preparing us for something great. God is preparing us for something awesome. Amen? And I can give you a few references just to note this. You've seen these verses, but Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. Jeremiah 29, verse 11 in the New Living Translation says this, For I know the what? The plans I have for you says the Lord. Aren't you glad God planned it out? That means there's no surprises. When you planned it, 
there's no surprises. You know, if you're planning to get pregnant, there's no surprises. Why? Because your planning produces your expectation. And what does a, 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 a woman say when she's bearing a child? I'm what? Expecting. I'm expecting. And then they move into what? The preparation for which they are expecting. So now they start looking at things to ensure that when the baby, or in Rebecca's case, the babies, now there was still a little surprise there (laughs) for them, making sure and ensuring that when the thing comes that they're planning and preparing for, that they will adequately be able to maintain and operate and, and live, be sustainable with the new thing that they're expecting and believing for. And so we see that God says, I have plans for you. And he tells us what those plans are. That's awesome. They're plans for good, not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. And he's talking to a people that really had no hope. And he's talking to a people here, if you read the context of it, that had no future. Uh, they, they had run away from God, walked away from God, turned their backs on God. And, and for him in the midst of that to say, see, sometimes God has to remind you of the plan because when you get in the middle, it doesn't look like it's going according to plan. You ever plan for something, prepared for something, and then it doesn't turn out the way that you planned or prepared? What does that do? That puts you right back in the cycle of, I'm not ready. And that's that's probably even worse than not planning at all, is preparing and planning, and then ending up in a situation that you still don't feel like you are properly prepared or that you have properly planned for. And so we recognize that there is this uh, planning and preparing. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 9. But as it is written, eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor has entered into the heart of man, the things which God has what? Prepared for those who love him. Again, we see that God is a planner. God is preparing things. God is putting things together proactively in preparation, proactively getting things in order and making things, making a plan for things uh, that so that we can see them come to pass. Ephesians chapter one is just a, a great chapter along these lines. Ephesians chapter one is just so cool to see how in detail God has planned and prepared the lives that we live. And even though we have surprises, isn't it? aren't you thankful that God never goes, uh-oh, God never says, wow. God is never surprised. God God does not have the responses that we do. It's all according to what? His plan. Start with verse three here. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Ephesians chapter one, 
who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. It's better to choose it before it happens. It's better to, to choose what you're going to wear when you get to 28-degree weather than to end up in the 28-degree weather and scrambling at the last minute trying to find what you need. But he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy without blame before him in love, having predestined us, pre destined us, us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he has made us accepted in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven, which are on earth, in him, in him also, we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. The preparation and the planning of God is indicative to the purpose of God. The planning and the preparation of God is indicative of the purpose of of God. See, purpose, become, uh, purpose comes before anything. Purpose exists before the product exists. I said purpose exists before the product exists. Before you see something tangible, natural in your hand, such as an iPhone or an iPad, before there was a product, there was a purpose. And you don't get from purpose to product without preparation, without some planning, without some behind the scenes where no one sees, where no one looks. I've never been to an Apple laboratory. I've never sat down with the scientists and the engineers and the individuals that came up with these devices. I, I have no idea even what is on the inside of the things. Uh, you know, I just know that it makes phone calls and it sends text messages and it browses Facebook and gets emails and, and bothers me. Ultimately, that's what it does. All I know is sometimes I got to be like, okay, get away from me. But they know all the inner workings. Why? They were a part of the planning and preparation phase of getting purpose into a product getting purpose into a product. I want this to accomplish something. I have uh, something in my mind because that's where purpose begins. Purpose always begins as an idea. You began in the mind of God before you ever showed up in this planet. The Bible even tells us that before you were in your mother's womb, he knew you. And he didn't just know you, but he knew the purpose for which you would exist. We don't have Genesis 1.26 without Genesis 1.1 through 1 through 25. 
There is no verse 26, man is made to rule on the earth, if there is no earth for man to rule. If there's nothing for man to control, nothing for man to dominate, then there's no reason for man. How do I know that? Because that was the purpose for which man was created. Man was created to rule. Man was created to dominate. Man was uh, created to have dominion and control, subdue, put the earth under itself and govern the earth as God governs heaven. That's what Genesis 1, 26, 27, and 28 tells me. And even though man failed in his purpose, it doesn't change the purpose for which man was made. The purpose doesn't change when you have a problem. I said the purpose doesn't change when you have a problem. If this thing stops working, well, maybe it wasn't designed for phone calls. Maybe it's just a paperweight. I'll just let it cover my papers. No, what am I going to do? It's dysfunctional. It's not working right. It's not accomplishing the purpose for which it was made. I need to go get it checked out. And where do I take it? Samsung? No, I take it to Apple, the manufacturer. Why are you going to other people trying to figure out what your function is in the earth? Go to the manufacturer. Go to the one who made you. Go to the one who not only made you, but designed you according to the purpose for which you would exist. Come on now. We're people of purpose. So if we're people of purpose, that means that there's a plan and that there's a preparation that has gone into process so that I can achieve the purpose for which I was created. I've got to have purpose and I've got to have preparation. I've got to have my purpose. I've got to know what my purpose is. And I've got to have a preparation that aligns with that purpose. I've got to have a preparation that is indicative of the purpose for which I was created. And so we all value preparation. Uh, we all value, look, it's a billion, multi-billion dollar industry, just the preparation. Not, I'm not even talking about the money that goes into getting the job done. I'm talking about the preparation to help carry out the job. I mean, think about all the things on this planet that are just built to prepare you. That's it. Whether you actually take that college education and do anything with it, is on you. But yet there's a whole system in place that is built around preparing you. I mean, businesses, organizations spend all kinds of money just in the preparation phase. Just to be what? Prepared. Just so when I get into the moment and I get into the situation, I get into the, the job or I get into the real world or, 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 or we're ready to open these doors on this church or open the doors on this business that we are ready to handle the amount of people that we believe we can handle. I mean, last year was a whole preparation process for us moving into this facility. We, we spent all year preparing for you, preparing to open the doors. I mean, a lot of church planners now, they'll take at least 12 months, some of them 24, 36 months, just to prepare to open their doors on day one. 
They have already existed for three years, yet they haven't preached one message. They haven't had one church member. They haven't, uh, uh, you know, done one outreach, but they are what? Preparing. And many times the level of your preparation is indicating the greatness of your expectation. The level of your preparation many times indicates the greatness of your expectation. You know you prepare to the level of your expectation. In Major League Baseball, there are 30 teams. And sure, all 30 go into spring training in February of every year thinking they're going to be the one team that's going to hold up the trophy. But, I mean, I was even listening on the radio just this past week. They were talking to some GMs, some general managers of some teams, like the Kansas City Royals. And they have this term called, we're in a rebuilding season. You know what that means? We ain't winning it this year. A different level of prep, that's what that means. So they're preparing at a different level of preparation than say the Boston Red Sox who are gonna be, who are the returning World Series champs and are what? Expecting to repeat. They brought back almost the same exact squad from last year. They, they are on paper expected to, to repeat and do everything, be just as strong uh, as they were last year, if not stronger. So the Kansas City Royals, and the Detroit Tigers and the Toronto Blue Jays are preparing differently than the Boston Red Sox and the Houston Astros and the New York Yankees. Sure, they all get out there and we want to win and we want to do, but internally, the preparation is different. You always prepare to the level of your expectation. You always prepare to the level of your expectation. Your preparation reveals what you're expecting. Your preparation reveals. I mean, let's say LaDonna and Rebecca got all the way to, to, to giving birth thinking they only had one baby coming. That's happened to people. I highly doubt they bought, well, let's just buy an extra crib just to be safe. Nobody does that. No, they're going to prepare to the level of their expectation. If they know they're expecting one child, they're going to prepare for one child. And then if there is another, then there's what? A surprise. God will throw in some surprises every now and then. We have to understand that our preparation is indicative of our expectation. But here's the thing that's interesting to me. is we have a high value for preparation. We have a high value for readiness. But God's idea of preparation throughout his word looks a lot different than ours. God's idea of being prepared and how he prepares people a lot of times may even look backwards as I go through the word of God and I look at people like Noah and I look at people like Abraham, I look at people like David, the king, the mighty warrior, 
But where was he prepared? In a pasture with a bunch of sheep. I think of people like Paul, who was Saul, who was actually murdering the very people that God was preparing him to save. Actually passionate and zealous about taking out Christians and removing Christianity and all this Jesus Jesus talk from the planet. And God says, that's the one I want. It's interesting. Look at Acts chapter four. Look at Acts chapter four. We're gonna rein this in. I just want to encourage you today. I mean, I want to encourage you every time, but but my <laughs> might might not always feel like it, but that's okay. Acts chapter four. Look at this in verse thirteen. In the New Living, it reads: "The members of the council." were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. For they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. That sounds unprepared to me. That, that, you know, to, to be prepared, to be prepared means to be thorough. To be prepared means to be ideally suited But yet, as I read this verse, I find the opposite. They were ordinary men. Now, let me remind you, Peter and John were two of the 12 men that followed Jesus everywhere he went during the entire tenure of his three and a half year ministry on this earth. They were actually two of three, Peter, James, and John, that were closer to Jesus than anybody else, even the remaining nine, that there were things that Peter, James, and John even got to see that some of the other 12 disciples didn't. These men, starting with the fact that they're sinners, that everyone at this point obviously is a sinner, because Jesus hasn't gone to the cross yet. But then moving down from there, we've got tax collectors, we've got cheaters, we've we've got uh, uh, guys that bicker and argue with one another. And, And these two right here, Peter and John, were two of the worst. I mean, when you have a reputation as a son of thunder, that's, that's, you know, that's not super exciting. And so these two men, Peter and John, may have even been the the least qualified of the group. These two guys, and and, and just so I can remind you of the, the, the effort and the mission for which Jesus is handing over to them. He is handing over the birth of his church to these men, to carry on the mission of bringing the kingdom to heaven and to transforming men's lives 
on this planet. That, that, think about what Jesus in just three and a half years accomplished and then looks at his disciples and says, and these things you will do and even greater things because I'm going to the Father. Think about what he's handing over uh, to these 12 Essentially, you know, they use a nice term, ordinary, uh, for this day and age, these guys were losers. These guys were disregarded even by their own society and even by their own communities. Levi, who we call Matthew, was a tax collector. He was on the Roman side for money. He wasn't even on the Jew's side. He had, he had gone to the other side. I mean, these guys were wild. These guys were crazy. These guys were definitely not what you would consider. I know I wouldn't as a pastor, church leadership. <laughs> no. Please find another church. <laughs> In this day and age, these guys were, were, were not the cream of the crop. These guys were uneducated just for society's sake. And this is who Jesus has now placed the burden and placed the weight and placed the responsibility of carrying on his mission of heaven on earth, his mission of birthing the church, his mission of carrying on the cause for which he came. And so now Jesus is gone, Acts chapter four. They just performed their first miracle by the power of God, raised a lame man on the way to church. And so now they're being brought in by the, the government and the council. And it says here that they were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. For they could see now see, they're seeing two things and they're seeing two things that are contradictory. It just said that they saw the boldness of Peter and John. But then in the very next statement, it says, for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. But here's the last one. They also recognized them as men, who had been with Jesus. I wonder which one is a priority for us, our skill, our training, our preparation, or the two things that I wanna to contrast today. Is it our readiness or our willingness? And I would tell you today that it's your willingness, not your readiness, that, per, that impresses God. It's your willingness, not your readiness, that impresses God. It's the ability to be available. The ability to be available. Availability trumps ability. Availability trumps ability. Look, I would rather have someone that is available but unable 
than to have someone who is able but not available. What good is it that we're skilled and trained and naturally prepared, but we're not willing? The Bible even tells us that the willing and obedient will eat the good of the land. It's the willing and obedient that will eat the good of the land. I want to pose to you today that God is more interested in our willingness than he is our readiness. That it's actually our willingness that he's looking for. I, my, my, my availability over my ability. Because here's what I know about God, is if I will make myself available, he will make me able. If I will make myself willing, he will make me ready. This is what we've got to discover about how God operates. And I'm not talking about procrastination. And I, I can speak from experience. I am a master procrastinator. I work best when I procrastinate. Anybody with me? There we go. I got a couple. I got you. Five minutes before the test, I got you. I'm your man. The night before, the morning of, I'm there. Three weeks out, don't even bother giving me all the details, man. It's going in the back. I'm pushing it to the back. Because I've got three other things I've already procrastinated about before I even get to that one. I'll procrastinate on procrastinating. I'll put off procrastinating. I, I, I will say I'll procrastinate later. Amen? Because here's one thing you won't find out about me. See, you know, here's the thing. How do you prepare when you don't know what to prepare for? We've taken plenty of trips where we just really don't even know what to expect. And so I watch people. My, my wife is a packer. She loves, well, she doesn't love to pack. I wouldn't say she loves to pack, but she gives a lot of thought to it. Me? I procrastinate on packing. I do. I'm like, we ready to go? Okay, let me go get my stuff together. She's picking up her bags. I'm loading the bags. And one thing that I do not do, and I, it has bit me several times, but one thing I do not do is over-prepare, over-pack. But that's what I see people do. If they don't know what to prepare for, and so, you know, you think you run the risk of not having enough. And so to counteract that, you pack way too much and you're that person in line at the airport getting stuff out of one bag to put it in another because this one's 58 pounds and this one's only 32 and you got to get this one down to 50. Hopefully 52 and they'll let you slide. Do I have any 52 pound packers in the room? It was one time she pulled a suitcase and when we hit that and I was like, that thing's not even big enough for 52 pounds. I can understand if you brought like one of our big ones, this is like the medium sized one. How did you get that much stuff even in there? You have a 45 pound weight at the bottom of it? My, my, my best friend, Pastor Marcus, is the absolute worst. 
And, and if he was sitting right here, I would tell this story anyways. He's the absolute worst to travel with. He packs like an absolute girl. <laughs> the numbers of shoes he brings. I don't know. I might need my brown ones. might need my black ones. might need my tennis shoes. might need my dress shoes. Just wear the same shoes every day. Nobody cares that much. Who are you trying to impress over there? Buy another pair when you get there and then give them away to somebody. I, you know, what in the world is your problem, man? There's way too much stuff in here. And so we over-prepare. And we over, we, 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 we overthink it. We put all this thought because we, we, we don't even know where we're headed in the first place. But God, as a planner, knows, see, this, this, what I'm trying to get at is even the deficiencies we have were planned by God. He knew what to leave out. He knew what you wouldn't need. He knew that you would meet someone, have someone. So, usually what I have found is my deficiency is somebody else's problem to solve. My deficiency, we're all what I like to call deficient by design. Deficient by design. Now, that does not mean that, you know, we just slouch back, well, he didn't give me that gift, so I just don't. No, no, no. You're going to strengthen what you can strengthen, but then you're going to let go what he hasn't given you. You're going to let go what he didn't place because somebody's coming along that's going to help you meet that need. We all have deficiencies. There's not one person on this planet uh, other than Jesus that has walked this planet with everything that they, uh, uh, with, with the ability to do it all. So there's strengths and there's weaknesses. If he didn't pack it in there, it's because you weren't going to need it or somebody else was going to bring it. Amen. But we see here that these individuals the ones that I just named, the one that we just read about. Look at this in Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. I want to help you unpack some things today. I want to help you quit carrying around stuff that you weren't designed to carry around. Amen. Amen. That's why he says, cast your cares on me. Why? Because I care for you. Why do you keep carrying around cares that you weren't designed to carry? And we keep repacking them. And you even come to the altar. And you come to a ladies' night. And we come to this thing. And we come to that thing. Pray for it. We get healing. We get, we get set free. And then we, you know, when everybody's gone, we run back here, we pick it back up off the altar and take it back home again. Yes. Sometimes our freedom only lasts as long as we don't look at Facebook. And then you look back at Facebook and you just, you realize you, you just pick the care right back up. You get around that person again, you pick the care right back up. I thought we were supposed to cast our cares. Acts chapter 9, verse 20. Speaking of Saul, and immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogue, saying, he is indeed the Son of God. All who heard him were amazed 
Isn't this the same man who caused such devastation among Jesus' followers in Jerusalem? They asked, and didn't he come here to arrest them and take them in chains to the leading priests? Saul's preaching became more and more powerful, and the Jews in in Damascus couldn't refute his proofs that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. It's amazing the people that God will prepare for his work. It's amazing the things that he will prepare you for. It's okay if you're surprised that God's using you in that way. It's okay if you have this thought, I never thought he would do this through me. I never thought I would be used like this. I never thought I would be uh, be doing this for God. That's okay. There's gonna be plenty of people around you gonna be thinking the same thing. But when God prepares you, who are we to argue or refute what God has prepared. And many times God will use, it's the, 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 the dumb things of the world that he will use to confound the wise. It, it's the simple things. It, it's the, not, not always the miraculous, but maybe the mundane, maybe the routine, maybe the familiar stuff that God wants to use in our lives to prepare us, to use us to get us in a place where we are carrying out the mission. Here's the thing. The product is not greater than the purpose. The product is not greater than the purpose. Sure, we can glorify this, but it's about what this helps me do and helps me accomplish. It's really The fact that I can pick this thing up and talk to anybody in the world at any time that I want. It's about the fact that I can pick this up and I can get information, get news, get get, get stories, get, you know, whatever you want from it at your fingertips. It's not even about the product. That's why we don't glorify the product. We glorify the purpose for which the product exists. And when we recognize that, its deficiencies and its shortcomings are no surprise. I'm not blown away by it. I'm not surprised by it. I recognize that God has placed in me everything that I need to accomplish his plan and his purpose. It's his purpose that prevails. Many are the plans in a man's heart. The the product will begin to take on a life of its own. The product will begin to formulate its plans. But if they don't maintain the purpose for which the manufacturer created it for, then we're no longer accomplishing his purpose. We're trying to accomplish our purpose and hoping that God will bless our purpose. You know how many Christians adopt their own plan and then ask God to bless it? How many times do we say, God, I want to go do this. Now I need your blessing. And then we get in there and we're what? Unprepared. We we realize I don't have what it takes. I don't, I don't, I can't do this. I can't do that. Well, maybe sometimes it's because we're in a place that God didn't intend for us to be and we're not going to see things show up. The grace of, follows the assignment. The grace follows the assignment. David had grace upon his life, King David. 
But there was one time he was outside of his assignment. He was at home when he should have been at war. He sees a lady taking a bath on a rooftop and ends up in a big mess. Why? Because he's not in the place of fulfilling his assignment. You've got, to, you've got to stay where God has placed you, where God has graced you, where God has anointed you to be. And when you get outside of that, you get outside of the covering, you get outside of the empowering, you get outside of the equipping, and then we wonder why all help breaks loose. We wonder why things are falling apart. It's because we're in a place that we were, as a product, not designed to be doing things we weren't designed to do. So now let me take you back to Matthew chapter 14. Let's come full circle. Matthew chapter 14. Are you getting something this morning? Amen. God has a mission, a plan, a purpose he's trying to accomplish. You are a means through which he's moving and operating, but we've got to ensure that we are submitting ourselves to his call, to his plan, to his preparation. But here's the thing. Our preparation doesn't look like what we think it looks like. Upon hearing the news of John the Baptist, Matthew chapter 14, verse 13 when Jesus heard it, he departed from there by boat to a deserted place by himself. By himself is not isolation, it's preparation. Let me say that again. By himself is not isolation, it's preparation. I don't have time to show you, but over in First. Uh, over in 1 Kings, Elijah the prophet performed this powerful miracle. God had fire come down from heaven, burn up an altar. And then on the back end of that, Queen Jezebel said, I am going to kill you just as you murdered all those prophets of Baal by this time tomorrow. And Elijah ran and fled for his life. And he left his servant back home and he went into isolation. I'm not telling you to go isolate all by yourself. Getting alone with Jesus is not isolation, it's preparation. You'll find yourself in a big mess when you separate from your company and separate from Jesus and reduce your life down to just doing less and not doing as much. And I can't be around people right now. And I can't be doing all this stuff. And I, and I can't even go to church. And, that, and then you don't even make time for the word. And then you're not even around anybody to encourage you and build you. You have isolated yourself. That means you're in a place all by yourself where the enemy can pick you off. And the attacks that are happening in your life are a result of you isolating rather than getting alone with him. There's a difference between being lonely and alone. There's a difference. Jesus is not lonely. He just wanted to be alone. But in being alone, that meant more time between me and my father. He made a practice of this. There were plenty of times that he would 
uh, uh, get away from the crowds, get away even from his disciples, stay up all night in communion. Not all night, oh me, oh my, why I'm the only one down here doing anything like Elijah. Oh, just take my life. Elijah's literally suicidal in that passage. God, just take me out now. They're coming for me anyways. Nobody else is serving you. We're the only ones that even want to do this. And then finally, God speaks up and says, by the way, I've got 7,000 more just like you that are ready and waiting at my command. You're not all alone like you think you are. You're not as alone as you think you are. So quit isolating yourself and go find another prophet and go tag team and get this thing done the way I've called you to do it. So Jesus isn't isolating, he's preparing. Jesus is getting in a place because he knows there's still work to do. He's getting himself in a place where he can go through the preparation. You think that he's literally in a position to be moved by compassion and to begin healing and ministering to these crowds if he's just merely you know, sad and suffering and, and, and distraught over the death of his cousin? Absolutely not. But because he got himself into a place where God was working with him, God's speaking to him, God's ministering to him, now Jesus is what? Prepared to do ministry. The, 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 the determining factor, if you've been isolating or preparing, is what you're capable of doing after you come out. The determining factor is what kind of weight and burden can I carry when I come out? If you've just been in isolation, hiding out, trying to get away from everybody and saying, oh me, oh my, and then you go back into the room with your kids, you go back into the room with your husband, you go back into that school, you go back into that workplace, and you're just as burdened and weighed down. You weren't with Jesus, you were just by yourself. You should be so different after coming out of that closet. You should be so different. Have your girl time. Have your me time. Get with Jesus. But when you come back, you better be ready to change some things. You better be ready to face some conflict. You better ready to be ready to confront some issues that I am here to see the world change and it will not stay like this. I've got a mission. I've got a purpose. I've got a job to do. So he comes out and he's what? He's ready to be moved with compassion. Starts healing people. And then in verse 15, when it was evening, his disciples came to him saying, look at what they say. This just blows me away. This is a deserted place. And Jesus says, duh. I wanted to come here to a deserted place to get away from you. And you guys followed me out here. I know it's a deserted place. But this is what happens. Is our place of preparation doesn't look like what we think preparation looks like. Jesus knew that was a place of preparation. To the disciples, they saw everything they were cut off from. To Jesus, he saw everything that he could connect to.
to the disciples and to the people, they say, we're far from town. Food's all the way in the village. We don't have this. We don't have that. And, and, and that, that's what people do is they get into that place of preparation. They get into that pasture like King David and they say, there's no way that I, I'd be able to be prepared for the palace. There's no way that God would be able to do this with my life. Look at where I'm at now. And God is saying, no, no, no. I've got you in the prime location so I can work on you and I can do everything I need to do in you so that way when we get to the palace I can work through you and you won't get in the way of what I'm trying to do through you it's deserted yeah we're alone yeah we're cut off from some things yes but what does that allow you to connect to what does that allow you to now get on your knees with Jesus. How many times is God trying to move us to more times with him? Remember, what did they see about Peter and John? They saw three things about Peter and John. They saw their boldness. They saw that they were ordinary, untrained men. And then they saw that they had been with Jesus. Can people see that you've been with Jesus? Or do you have to tell them, I've been with Jesus? Is it recognizable off of your life who you're spending time with? And I would even respond with that by saying, it is. I can tell when sad people have been hanging around sad people and angry people have been hanging around angry people. Come on. You can see it. How many times have you gotten around somebody and what they were going through got on you and you came out carrying their stuff? So if you could do that with losers... Imagine what we could do if we got around Jesus and I could put on some Jesus and I could put on some hope and I could put on some healing. Come on now. Your your, your, your environment is so vital to the life you live. So to Jesus, he said, yes, I was looking for the deserted place. And now the disciples, they're in the deserted place. And the hour is already late. Send the multitudes away that they may go into the village and buy themselves food. And this is what happens a lot of times when we don't recognize, when we do not recognize the place of our preparation, we will feel like we've got to go somewhere else to get what we need. Well, if I was over here, I have my food. Send them away to the village because that's where the food is. There's no food. It's deserted here. 
But I remember one time in John chapter 4 where Jesus responded to his disciples and uh, he was actually ministering to the woman at the well, tired from his journey. Disciples go into town to get food for him because uh, they were all weary from their traveling. And he's ministering to this woman at the well who really he was just trying to get a drink of water, wasn't looking for a ministry opportunity, ministers to her. And then he comes back and he's all refreshed. And they're like, what in the world? Does somebody bring him food? And he said, no, no, no. My food is to do the will of my father. That means when you're in a place of preparation, you find your sustenance in a different place. That means that, that what, you, what, what you would normally find insufficient now becomes sufficient. That God becomes your sufficiency. God becomes everything you need. That now you're not finding your hope in other people and being around other people. I found my hope in Jesus. I'm not finding my identity in what I'm doing all the time and doing my tasks and, 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 and you know, being a mom and, and being a coworker and being a boss. And, and I'm the CEO. That's what I do. I'm the, ta- I'm, the, I'm the task guy. I'm the leader. I gotta be busy. No, no, no. I find my identity in Jesus. Even if I'm in a deserted place, by myself with nothing to do. I'm merely being prepared for what God is trying to get me to do. It's different in the deserted place. That's where God's preparing. It's where God's working. He said, send the multitudes away that they may go into the villages and buy themselves food. But Jesus said to them, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. And so they respond and they say, we have here only five loaves and two fish. And if you go over to John chapter six, uh, Andre, I don't have this in there. So if you'll pull it up in the new living, John chapter six, verse five, worship team, if you'd come. John chapter six and verse five. This account of the feeding of the 5,000 is the only miracle that's recorded in all four gospels. It's the only miracle that we see in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And here in John chapter six and verse, verse five, it says, Jesus soon saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. Turning to Philip, he asked, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? He was testing Philip for he already knew what he was going to do. Why? Because he knew the purpose. Philip replied, even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. Then Andrew, Simon, uh, Simon Peter's brother spoke up. There's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. But what good is that with this huge crowd? Tell everyone to sit down, Jesus said. So they all sat down on the grassy slopes. The men alone numbered about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks to God, and distributed to the people. Afterward, he did the same with the fish, and they all ate as much as they wanted. I want to show you that it's not our readiness that God is looking for. It's our willingness. This little boy did not have to give up his lunch. This little boy had to be willing 
to hand over and put the little that he had in God's hands so that God could make it work to meet the needs of the multitude. Here's the thing. Readiness is a matter of your hands. Willingness is a matter of your heart. Readiness is a matter of your hands. Willingness is a matter of your heart. And here's my favorite part. Readiness puts the capacity for success in your hands. Readiness puts the capacity for success in your hands. You know where I'm going. Willingness puts the capacity for success in God's hands. Willingness says, I take the little that I have. It can barely feed me right now. But when I am willing and obedient and it goes into your hands, now you can feed a multitude. I came here thinking that I was just going to be simply taking care of myself. But I'm leaving knowing that you have put something in my hands that if I'll be willing and obedient with it, I will eat the good of the land. They will eat the good of the land. We'll have enough to go around for everybody. I want you to see today that it's not the preparation that you can perform. It's not the preparation of how well you can get it put together. It's not your training and your skill and your ability that's impressing God, but it's your availability. It's your willingness to say, God, whatever you need from me, work on me, work in me, work through me, do whatever you need with my life because I know there's a mission that needs to be fulfilled. There's a purpose and an assignment on my life and I want to be prepared by your hands to see it come to pass. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaith.austin.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.